I want to take a different approach today and explore a more in-depth look at Ezekiel 38 and 39. I've been coming to realize many of the preliminary events among the nations today speak to those two specific significant chapters, even present events in Eastern Europe that's going on right now along with Zechariah 12 through 14, Daniel 11, they speak to many of these same events. The writings of the prophets present a coming time of trouble, particularly for Israel, but, but also for the church and the nations, generating energetic debate and, and often intractable positions among prophecy teachers, leaving the, the less informed bewildered and confused. So, I've entitled this, God, Gog, and the Nations. God, Gog, and the Nations. Get that straight. Say that three times real fast. God, Gog, and the Nations. Gog, Gog, Gog. Yeah, that's the problem. You end up with Gaga. <laughs> so say it carefully. We're talking about the spirit of the living God. Gog, a coming Antichrist, and all the nations around the world. Hi, everyone. I'm Bill Nordstrom, and welcome to the program today. This is Ezekiel 38. We're going to get started right now. Verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal, and prophesy against him. Now this starts out with a a bit of a mystery right from the get-go. Who's Gog? And why is the word of the Lord coming against him? Now, we could get into an extended teaching right here deciding Gog's identity. I'm going to strongly suggest, straight up front, he's the coming Antichrist. I don't want to spend perhaps hours debating it and defending it. So let me suggest, listen, this is important, suggest that you listen to Nelson Walter's Very insightful teaching on the subject, Gog and Magog. It's on his YouTube channel. He provides some background, very good background, on Gog and the surrounding nations, and I believe it'll be very helpful. So, that said, we see that Rosh is not a nation. It's Hebrew for chief or head. So, whoever Rosh is, he's chief or head of something. What we do know is, and this is important, Rosh is not Russia, nor is Meshech Moscow. Some Bible teachers, especially those of the pre-trib rapture position, take that position because it supports their view that the Antichrist will come out of a revived Roman Empire. No, all we, all we know is that the Antichrist comes out of the north and invades the land of Israel in the tribulation, the last half of Daniel's 70th week, the last three and a half years of this age. So what is Ezekiel told to say to this Gog, this coming Antichrist? Let's read it, verse 3. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I'm against you, O Gog, Prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal. Verse 4. I'll turn you around, I'll put hooks in your jaws, and I'll lead you out with all your army, horses and horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company of bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Now it gets real interesting. Who's doing what here? First of all, we know God's calling the shots using very graphic language, hooks in your jaws, 
I'm going to lead you out. This is my doing. Well, we know who's in charge. This is God's doing. None of these events take him by surprise. And if we get into the Word of God, study the prophetic scriptures, they won't startle us either. He's about to wrap up the infamous 2,000-year gap we've been talking about, and he's about to make known how he's going to do it and with whom. Let's read verse 5. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya are with them, all of them with shields and helmet. Gomer and all its troops, the house of Torgama, from the far north and all its troops, many people are with you. Here the Lord's letting us know who's involved in this great military campaign for which he's taking full responsibility. Persia, of course, that's modern-day Iran, Ethiopia, and Libya. All Islamic nations in close proximity to Israel. Gomer, Togarma, to the north, speak of modern-day Turkey and Azerbaijan. So the Lord is letting us know who's involved in this coming battle, all ancient enemies of Israel, and all in nations we can identify on a present-day map of the Middle East. Now let's look at verse 8, and this is very interesting. I, I really believe this is a real key verse to the whole chapter, actually both 38 and 39 of Ezekiel. Let's see this very carefully. Uh, it's a key verse that's important to understanding uh, the unprecedented peace arrangement that's making all this invasion possible. A peace agreement that will be embraced by Israel, likely coming at the not-too-distant future. Verse 8, let's read it. After many days, you will be visited. That's Gog. He's going to get a visit. In the latter years, that's a future time, you will come into the land of those brought back from the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate. They were brought out of the nations, and now all of them. Who's dwelling safely? Israel. Now all of them dwelling safely. Okay, first of all, we know Israel returned to the land in 1948, following World War II. And, of course, that was a miracle in and of itself. But this also points out they are dwelling safely. Well, we must ask the question, when, at any time since they returned to the land after World War II, had they ever dwelt safely? Let me answer it for you. They haven't. So we must assume here there's something more significant about this peace agreement than any of its predecessors. Let's see on what I'm basing this very unusual peace agreement. Listen real carefully here. We're going to go to Daniel, just two verses. Stay with me. Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, where Daniel's given to, to understand in the prophecy of the mysterious 70 weeks prophecy, exactly what this, this coming man of sin will do. Verse 27, then he, that's this coming mysterious man who will become the Antichrist, he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. That's seven years. With many. That's very interesting. We know this coming future Antichrist will come into an agreement with, with Israel for a seven-year period. But, but verse 27 says the agreement is with many. 
other nations are apparently involved in this same unrivaled peace agreement. And then in Daniel chapter 11, verse 28, while returning to his land, boy, this is an important verse, while returning to his land with great riches, his heart shall be moved against the holy covenant, so he shall do damage and return to his own land. Is this the one and same covenant of Daniel 9.27? Is he recognizing God's holy covenant with Israel? Because that's really a game changer, a covenant in place that allows Israel for the first time, having been brought out of the nations, to dwell safely. A people dwelling in the land at ease, living without bars or gates, perhaps even a relaxed Israeli defense force. The apparent reason Israel seems to have no worries at the time is because Gog has recognized Israel's right to exist through its holy covenant. Confident this man has honored the ancient covenant, the holy covenant, the everlasting covenant that God made with Abraham and the Jewish people giving a present accessibility to Temple Mount, the reinstating of animal sacrifices, that should really go over in a political correct society, and a status, a position among the company of nations. Why wouldn't they be at ease? This is not a Camp David Accords between Begin and Sadat back in the 70s, the Oslo Accords between Israel and the PLO or even the recent Abraham Accords, or any of the agreements of the past between Jew and Arab. No, this is, this is Israel's ancient enemy coming, coming to recognize God's holy covenant with Israel. And that changes. That changes the whole meaning of a peace agreement. The Bible calls that future peace one of the greatest deceptions in history. This is a covenant Gog actually hates as do Israel's ancient neighbors. It's a covenant with death and hell, the Bible says, that will be, in short order, begin the time of Jacob's trouble and the Great Tribulation. Now, we can't prove it, but if those two verses, Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, and eleven twenty-eight, if they speak of the one and the same covenant, the covenant made with Abraham, it stands to reason God's ancient holy covenant with Israel is being officially recognized by Gog, the Antichrist, in this unprecedented peace, putting all at ease and opening the beginning of the final chapter of this age. The long pot-marked road in the Middle East has produced its share of you know, ceasefires, treaties, peace agreements, arms reductions, but, but nothing like this. So what's Gog's next move? A holy covenant set for seven years, an agreement hated by Gog and his hordes, one of the greatest deceptions in history. Here we'll see this surprising, unanticipated peace in the Middle East that results with the recognition of a holy covenant is short-lived. While the world's celebrating, the powers of darkness are salivating their present advantage. But perhaps even more importantly, mature, astute Bible believers, familiar with the, the writings of the prophets, yes, the church all over the world, will be not nearly as impressed or excited 
calling for a major, listen, time out, as they point to the prophetic scriptures to assure the world that this is a lie from the pit of hell, a false covenant that will ultimately be deadly for the covenant nation itself. The church will be taking Israel and the nations to the world of the prophets, who show this to be a very costly false peace, prophetic voices coming out of nowhere, and with divine accuracy explaining what is actually to come next. Listen to Ezekiel chapter 38, where we've been studying here, but let's look at verse 10. Thus says the Lord God, on that day it shall come to pass that thoughts will arise in your mind and and you will make an evil plan. See, this this recognition of the Holy Covenant is short-lived. Verse 11, you will say, this is the Antichrist, you will say, I will go up against a, a land of unwalled villages. I will go to a peaceful people who dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls, having neither bars nor gates, to take plunder and to, and to take booty, to stretch out your hand against the waste places that are again inhabited and against a people gathered from the nations. That's that return back in 1948 who've acquired livestock and goods and dwell in the midst of the land. Now listen to verse 13, because Israel's not all alone in this thing. Verse 13, Sheba, Dedan, the merchants of Tarshish, and all their young lions will say to you, Have you come to take plunder? Have you you gathered your army to take booty, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, to take great plunder? Now, these are important verses. Sheba, Dedan, Tarshish, they will say, Have you, have you, Gog, come to do to us what you're planning to do to Israel? Are we going to be subject to invasion also? Now, let's take note where these nearby southern nations sit, Sheba and Dedan, are located in present-day Saudi Arabia. We know there have been significant attitude adjustments among several of Israel's neighbors, as the Abraham Accords of 2020 brought some significant changes in the region. The United Arab Emirates signed a treaty to normalize its relations with Israel in that year, opening up a a collaboration on tourism, trade, technology sharing, and much more. Bahrain would soon follow suit, followed by Sudan and Morocco, all of whom never had formal relations with Israel. And all of them are southern nations. They're all to the south of Israel. So, might we suspect that ancient Sheba and Dedan, modern-day Saudi Arabia, might yet also join these Abraham Accords, helping to position a group of southern Arab nations, a coalition that will not buy into the saber-rattling coming from the north and Gog's, Gog's ultimate goal to destroy Israel. As we see in verse 13, these nations will also be subject to invasion and plundering. Verse 13, have you, have you gathered your army to, to take booty, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, to take plunder? 
And as we read in Daniel and Isaiah, Egypt uh, will also be subject to the whims of this deceiving man of sin to the north. Daniel 11.42, he shall stretch out his hand and against the countries and, and, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. Or how about Isaiah chapter 19, verse 4? And Isaiah 19 is loaded with a lot of information about the end of days and the Egyptians. Let me read the verse 4. The Egyptians I will give into the hand of a cruel master. Who's the eye there? That's God. I will give them into the hand of a cruel master, and a fierce king will rule over them, says the Lord the Lord of hosts. The Egyptians are not yet on board with the Abraham Accords, but might I suggest they will likely be amicable to the agreement in the future. It's it's clear from Scripture many nations of the world will not endorse the sudden goals of the Antichrist when he, when he forsakes the peace agreement with Israel and also turns on her southern neighbors. So let's move on to verse 18, Ezekiel 38. I'm going to read verses 18 through 20. And it shall come to pass, it'll come to pass at the same time when Gog comes against the land of Israel, says the Lord God, that my fury will show in my face. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath, I've spoken. Surely in that day, there shall be a, a, a great earthquake in the land of Israel. Verse 20. So that the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, the beasts of the field, all creeping things that creep on the earth, and all men who are on the face of the earth shall shake at my presence. The mountains shall be thrown down. The steep places shall fall, and every wall shall fall to the ground. Beloved, this is a very significant moment. This is Gog's invasion of Israel. This is the beginning of the time of Jacob's trouble, the, the great tribulation. This is a time like no other. Fury, incomprehensible anger comes up in God's face as he sees Gog, this coming Antichrist, come into the land. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, time out. What? Whose anger has reached the boiling point, and he can't hold back any longer? Why would God intentionally put hooks in the jaws of this coming man of sin and set him to be to bring incomprehensible devastation on Israel? Why? Doesn't seem to make sense. Then burn with anger as he observes this all play out at his bidding. Well, first of all, he's the God of perfect justice. Though he views the pain and the suffering of his people, he simultaneously experiences their pain and suffering. There's a consequence here. There's a cost. There's a cost for covenant righteousness. All men who are on the face of the earth shall shake at my presence. The mountains shall be thrown down. The steep places shall fall. And every wall shall fall to the ground." This is not conventional warfare, folks. Certainly, this speaks of nuclear devastation. Verse 21, I'll call for a sword against Gog throughout my mountains, says the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother, and I'll bring to him judgment with pestilence and bloodshed. 
I'll rain down on him, on his troops, and on the many peoples who are with him, flooding rain, great hailstones, fire and brimstone. Again, nuclear. Verse 23, thus I will magnify myself and sanctify myself, and and I will be known in the eyes of many nations, then they shall know that I am the Lord. Folks, a clear, a clear indication of, of nuclear conflagration in the final stages of the Great Tribulation, and, and unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Listen to it. Matthew twenty four twenty two. Those are the words of Jesus. Those days will be abbreviated by the return of our Lord and Savior. Resurrection from the, for the righteous dead and, and the rapture of believers around the world. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we recognize there's a, there's a coming time like no other. Like no other time, Lord. As we look around, it appears the world, Israel, and the church are, are so unprepared for this coming day, the day of the Lord. My prayer, Father, and the prayer of the friends that are listening to this podcast, my prayer is that you will do a quick work on the earth, that there will be a clarity of the written and spoken word, revelation and insight into the mysteries you've, you've held so closely for so long an outpouring of your Holy Spirit in these coming days, Lord, that we'll see millions come into your kingdom through your gracious love and forgiveness. You're a safe God, Father. We trust you. (laughs) We love you. And listen, Lord, we want to set our hearts to walk this out with you. And we ask it all in the name of Yeshua. Amen and amen. Well, there's much more here to consider, and uh, I hope to do so as we examine chapter 39, perhaps in our next session. Subscribe to the podcast so so you don't miss these important teachings. Tell your friends. And pray for us that we we have the word of the Lord accurately and in season. Maranatha. I'm Bill Nordstrom.